This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 8. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Thursday, September 1st, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Ryla Bowman, and I'm joined today by co-host and producer, Matthew Marister. Yes, sir. What's up, man? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, doing the thing here. Working on more holster stuff here in the shop and all kinds of things. But uh, stepping away to do a podcast with you, it's good to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think it's the first time in a while that I have been able to accomplish two podcast episodes in a week. Folks, thanks for your patience with everything. I know it's been it's been a trying time for us <laughs> and for the podcast. So much going on here. Um, I should warn you that in coming weeks... It's not going to get much easier. Uh, so I'm going to be gone for USPSA Nationals at one point. We're going to be gone for the conference at another point. Uh, some of that I haven't figured out yet. Some of it may just not happen. I don't think we're going to get a podcast done during the week of the uh, the conference, unfortunately. So just a heads up on that. All right. That's in two weeks. A little more than two weeks. It's In two weeks today, we're leaving. Or yesterday. Mm-hmm. So crazy to think. Yeah. Yeah. So, welcome to the show, though, folks. Today's episode, I should mention, is sponsored, brought to you by CCW Safe. Uh, they are title sponsor of the Guardian Conference, which, again, as I mentioned, is in two weeks. Uh, they are our choice for self-defense coverage. Uh, you know, if you need help legally, which I recommend everybody should have. I mean, here, dude, how many stories have we read over the years where somebody's involved in a self-defense incident, you know, a justified save or defensive gun use? And, I mean, as we read it, it seems like it's very clear, black and white, you know, cut and dry as far as they were justified, they did the right thing, they defend themselves, everybody, you know, goes home happy. Well, maybe not the bad guy, but, you know what I mean? Like... (sighs) But, but they, they're so confident in themselves that what they've done was right and that they are not in the wrong. And they just start blah, blah, blabbing to LE, to the, to the you know responding officers, to investigators, blabbing to the media. Um, that That's not the way to go. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be honest with you. People have gotten themselves in trouble from saying too much. And, uh, you know, even if you don't uh, maybe face criminals charges of any sort there's and it depends on the state that you're in but there's always a chance you could find yourself in a lawsuit you just want to make sure you get the advice of a trusted attorney now how are you going to pay for that right have you have you thought of that some attorneys some attorneys are going to require a retainer up front of minimum 10 that's probably on the very 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 low end 20 30 forty thousand dollars depending on the case you never know what that might be. So next thing you know, you're selling assets, you're putting up your home for uh, you know, second mortgage or whatever, just so you can pay a retainer fee. You might be you know, missing time away from work. Your whole life may be upset, even in a justified use of deadly force. So please, please, please consider joining CCW Safe today. Uh, they are, I believe, the 
best team out there prepared and able and willing to basically hold your hand through the process and cover your legal expenses as part of that of that that membership so go to ccwsafe.com today consider joining at the very least you can get on board with the defender's plan uh, or if you are LE or military, you can you can uh, take a look at the, pr- the protector plan. And of course, the ultimate plan, which is what I have, is certainly a recommendation. Uh, check them all out. Save 10% with the discount code CCPODCAST. Just by being a, a, a listener of, of this show, of this episode, you can save 10% off your CCW Safe membership. And Guardian Nation members will save 20% with their own special discount code, only available to members. Guys, again, ccwsafe.com. Today's episode also sponsored by the 2022 Guardian Conference, which I mentioned CCW Safe as a title sponsor of that event. And uh, we've talked a lot about a, a lot of, about the conference over the last several weeks, months, and really over the last year. We've certainly mentioned it from time to time. It's as it's uh, been a, a year in the works. Uh, we immediately started looking forward to and planning for 2022 uh, as soon as we wrapped up last year's conference. So, guys, guardianconference.com is the place to learn more. Should have instructor uh, uh, course information up, I'm hoping, by tomorrow, just so you know. So you can start looking at what the actual courses that will be presented. I know we're a little bit behind the ball on that. Just uh, It's like herding cats trying to get all these instructors to get information you know, turned in. So... Uh, and that's just the way it goes with any kind of large scale event. So, guys, uh, guardianconference.com, hope to see you there. Many of you, we are, we will be seeing there, and it's going to be a great time for year two of the annual Guardian Conference. If you can't make it this year, just know we, we are starting to look ahead to 2023 and planning that as well. Uh, hope to have what the dates will be for that event. Hopefully, in the near future, because we do need to get that locked down as well as we as we are planning ahead. So. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. Oh, Mark, almost all attorneys. Yeah. Uh, Mark would know as an attorney. So today's episode is a industry news and gear reviews episode. So we're going to cover industry news with you and also provide a couple of gear reviews towards the end of the end of the, end of the show as well. So you want to stick around for that so you can hear uh, what those are. And let's get into our first news story. Okay, so a couple of, in fact, three new kind of big gun releases in the last uh, week or so uh, from Six Hour, Springfield Armory, and Smith and Wesson. In fact, the title of today's episode is Three New Guns Everybody's Talking About. And that that's true. Like, uh, there's been a lot of chatter in uh, recent days and recent week or so about uh, some of these guns. And, and, well, ultimately, all of these guns now at this point. Some have uh, been out just a little bit longer than others. Some are, in fact, I think. Well, I haven't seen the Smith and Wesson, the new Smith and Wesson out yet. I, although it may be, I just maybe didn't see it. But I have seen the new Springfield Armory gun is already available to buy. The new mm-hmm. Sig Sauer gun is already able to be bought. Uh, they are out there, so you can go pick a couple of these up already if you if you choose to. So what's up first? Sig Sauer P365X Macro. Uh, this just came out, like I mentioned, from Sig. This is. Essentially, the P365XL length slide with an integrated with two integrated ports at the muzzle end to uh, help with recoil reduction. Uh, from some tests I've heard from people that I know, they have said that they 
that there was a noticeable difference for them in shooting this gun with that setup. Uh, so that's always good to know and good to hear. But basically, XL P365 length, but it's a whole new grip module. A little bit larger grip module, certainly a longer grip to it. This is a 17-round capacity, so 17 plus 1, 9 millimeter, built on the P365 platform. Has a true Picatinny rail. It's relatively short, but it actually has a true rail on it now, so no longer do you have to use a proprietary uh, uh, you know, if you want to have a weapon mounted light on it, for instance, we, we, up till now you had to use something that was actually designed for the proprietary SIG rail that was on the P365 since the get-go. Comes with the flat trigger or straight trigger. It's already optics ready, so it's got an optics cut with a plate installed over that until you, until such time you were ready to put an optic on it. Uh, it I imagine will be a winner. I mean, here's the thing, Matthew. I with stuff like that, or with stuff like this, people are instantly like, "Well, doesn't this defeat the purpose of the P365 in the in the first place? It was meant to be this small gun, and they came up with a slightly larger version of that small gun, and now they come up with an even larger version of that relatively small gun." And here's the thing: if you go to a website like HandgunHero.com, where you can actually compare guns side by side, dimensions, you can even overlay them. If you take the P365X macro and overlay it onto a even a, a compact size p320 but certainly if i mean if you're if you're going apples to apples in terms of capacity 17 and 17 rounds so you could do the, even the full size p320 and overlay on top of that the p365x macro you'll see it's still a good amount smaller than a p320 uh i also really like the way the p365 system operates the, the trigger system, uh, uh, everything about it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a much more efficiently built gun, partly because it was built from the ground up. If you'll recall, the P320 was sort of adapted from the previously, you know, it, I don't know if I would say it's failed. I mean, they sold a good number of them, but they stopped making the P250 a number of years ago. Uh, the P250, of course, was a double-action only hammer-fired polymer grip-moduled uh, uh, pistol, and uh, it didn't, you know, really take off in a major way. And they basically repurposed a lot of that project and turned that into the P320. So the P365. In fact, that was the comment I made to Phil Strader when the P365 first came out. I remember chatting with him and be like, "Hey, uh, if you could go back and do it all again with respect to the P320, anything that you know from the P365 that you would." you know, that you've learned and that you would do differently in the P320. It's like, oh, yeah, like that the P365 is essentially what the P320 should have been. Um, you know, the way it's designed internally, all of that. Uh, you know, so, yeah, except for the P365 is obviously, you know, a little bit more miniature uh, sized. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. You know, it was that was a conversation from, gosh, four or five, whatever, years ago, whenever the P365 came out. It's been a while. But that's kind of the idea. And so uh, this is sort of coming full circle from, you know, where that whole thing started. And here we've got really three, you got a whole family of firearms now in the P365 family. You've got everything from a true micro compact gun to something more intermediate size to something more or more or less full size, but it's still very, very small. So what does that mean? Well, I carry a, a pretty much a full-size P320 
on a near daily basis. I'm actually carrying the 365 XL today, but uh, yesterday I was carrying a full size P320. Uh, if I could still have 17 plus one rounds in a smaller package, well, it's going to conceal better. It's got more grip to hold on to. I already shoot the 365 XL better than I do the standard 365. I can only assume that the X macro is going to be a bit easier to shoot than the XL because of, you know, a little bit larger size, a little bit larger grip and all that. So if it's easier to conceal than a three full size 320 that I already like and already do carry, well, that it's got my interest peaked. I will admit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I'm right there with you, man. Like, um, it, the 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 thing that I like about these, you know, that they expanded the or added the capacity, but didn't have to um, make the grip any wider because mm-hmm. for somebody I have smaller hands, so that that's a that's something that is a consideration, right? Being able to manipulate all the all the controls and stuff on on the gun, and and certainly some people prefer a thinner grip. Um, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, you know, it's not a single stack th- with grip, but it, it, it's thin like that. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I, I noticed, uh, you know, I, I also went to that handgun hero and kind of did the overlay and I noticed the back, the beaver tail or back strap area. is a little different, um, mm-hmm. on, on the macro. So maybe that also maybe changes the, the, you know, the, the placement of the hand on the back strap a little bit and stuff, but yeah, I, I think this is cool. As, as long as we don't have to wait for, you know, dealers aren't out, out of stock for two years before we can get our hands on one. That'd be, that'd be pretty neat to get one. Well, I could tell you, I was looking on gun, no Osage County guns, uh, just this morning and they have them in stock for seven ninety nine. Hmm. So if you, okay. I mean, maybe they don't now, but right. Right. You right. know, a few hours ago they had them in stock. Uh, I, 799, I can't remember the, what was the actual projected MSRP of the X macro? I, I forgot that, that yeah. number. It might be the 799. I don't recall, but I mean, if you want one badly enough for a sweet 800 bucks, you can go order one from Osage County guns, have it sent to your dealer of choice, go pick it up. You know, of course, assuming it's legal in your jurisdiction, in your state, whatnot. Sure. I know some of you Californians, sorry, uh, that's uh, probably you know a non-issue or a, not a, not an option, but yeah, um, there's something to be said about width of the gun, and I don't have the science of it totally figured out yet. But there, there, I think there's a combination of width of gun as well as how wide you know the footprint is inside the waistband. There's a I mean, obviously, we we know anything that's bigger is obviously going to just be bigger. But, you know, it's like I put the XL in my pants, you know, in my waistband, in my in my uh, Lexington holster, and uh, do the same thing with a 320. I mean, it's very noticeable, you know. Even when I've, I, I'm running the, you know, I'll show you. I'm pulling out my mag right here. This is a 15-round P365 mag. That's, that's what I'm carrying and concealing with today. That's not – actually, I, <laughs> I overlaid uh, – or no, I saw online somebody had posted an image of the 15-round P365XL on top of the X-Macro. And the X-Macro is basically about the same size with the 
you know, comparing those two. And I was like, Ooh, that's interesting. You're getting the, the two more rounds in almost the same size of something that I carry actually pretty regularly in the 15 round configuration. And so, uh, that kind of was, you know, a little bit eye opening in that regard. And, uh, yeah, so there's something to be said about, uh, about size, about thickness. It's noticeably diff, you know, it's different to carry the, the P365 XL compared to a full size 320. I don't mind full size 320. I can pull, I can carry it, but not everybody can. So this might allow some folks to carry the gun they want as far as capacity or shootability or whatever that is, uh, in a, uh, you know, in a, in a smaller package than what we previously could do. Yeah. So very cool. All right. So what's up? Tell us about the Springfield Armory new product release there, Matthew. Yeah. So apparently uh, you, you let me know about this. I didn't even know this came out, but Springfield apparently is releasing a polymer uh, 1911. It, apparently with, does it have a, an aluminum uh, fire control unit? Is that, am I reading that correctly? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, this is a, so basically what Springfield's coming out with is a copy of the Staccato mm-hmm. and the Staccato pistols are basically a grip module type uh, styled gun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they, they have kind of a frame, if you will, that's really more akin to what we'd consider to be a fire control unit these days with a plastic, uh, uh, you know, grip module that you attached on in the case of like a staccato or, or S, you know, STI 2011 style gun. So, uh, this is essentially a copy of that. You, you cut off. Oh, okay. Uh, let me re say that. <laughs> and I guess I'll have to edit this. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> um, so the, uh, you know, the original P3, or excuse me, geez. So uh, basically what you have is the Springfield Armory is uh, the, the new gun, which is called the Prodigy, by the way. This is the 1911 DS series gun uh, called the Prodigy. It's basically a copy of the Staccato. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the, you know, STI, which was rebranded as Staccato, they, you know, they came out with the 2011s a number of years ago now. Uh, and basically what that is, is a, You've got a fire control unit, a frame of sorts, the part that's actually serialized, and there's the actual grip is more like a grip module in you know in, in today's world. Like we, we think of you know P three twenties having a, a grip module, three sixty fives have a grip module. Uh, some of the other you know uh, competitors out there in the Palmer striker fired world use the concept of like a FCU with a or some kind of internal frame along with a, a grip module and that's basically how an, uh, how a staccato is is constructed as well so the springfield armory here is just bringing an, a, a new competitor into that space a a staccato copy if you will right right yeah and, and i think that's a that's pretty cool i i, I know some people are like oh you know well, well this company's already doing it why you know but i, I think Variety or, you know, options are always good for the consumer and Springfield Armory. I, I don't own any Springfield Armory uh, pistols. All right. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to tell you that. But um, I, I know that certain models are, are known for reliability. And if this turns out to be a reliable 1911 that's comparable, um, you know, to to the staccato, then I mean, that's better for the consumer. 
right? And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. A couple things here. Um, number one, I think it's always great to have competition in the space. Um, hopefully that makes everybody better in some some regard, right? Uh, Staccato, part of their rebranding a number of years ago from STI, like one time they were more focused on the competition handgun market. And now you see in the last few years a big swing for them to more of the civilian and especially law enforcement uh, uh, side of things, right? More of a defensive or tactical role. And we see more and more agencies approving or even issuing staccato pistols for duty use. And they've proven themselves to be a pretty solid, reliable platform. But one of the downsides is, is they're kind of spendy, right? So, I mean, you're talking for like a Staccato P, for instance, which is one of the more popular models, uh, basically a, a similar sized gun to, I mean, you got basically a four and a quarter inch and a five inch version of this uh, Springfield Prodigy. And Staccato has some similar models. Well, you're basically talking somewhere in the $2,300 to $2,500 range for those Staccato pistols. That's no small change, right? Uh, it looks like this new Springfield Armory Prodigy is in the fifteen hundred dollar, uh, uh, you know, ballpark, uh, possibly even less, you know, street price. And I was online this morning on Gun Broker again, and I saw some of these Springfield Prodigies, uh, including one I could have bought right now for fifteen hundred bucks. And, you know, so that this gets me a staccato-like, a 2011-like. And I know Springfield doesn't probably want it called that. I, I get that. And 2011, to be clear, is actually a trademarked uh, name by staccato. Uh, they actually own the rights to that. So that's why you don't ever see any other uh, uh, you know, manufacturer that makes similar type pistols. Because there's a few of them out there, just none that make it quite as mainstream, if you will, as like staccato, let's say, and, and apparently what Springfield's going after. But nobody calls them 2011s, uh, at least officially, because they would be infringing on that trademark. So uh, so in this case, Springfield refers to this as a 1911 DS, I assume for a double stack. And the actual name is, is the Prodigy. Uh, optics ready, by the way. So they got an optics cut. And that's not exactly the easiest thing to uh, do in the... 1911, 2011 world. Uh, plenty of other makers have tried that and failed, or at least had some some failures and some, you know, lessons learned from different optics cuts and and, and mounting solutions. In the case of putting uh, red dots on 1911 style uh, uh, slides, uh, but Springfield seems to have their own solution for that. Um, but that could be a potential, you know, failure point there. So we'll have to see how that holds up. Obviously, reliability is always an issue. Everybody wants, you know, a reliable tool. Uh, and I imagine, you know, this is something that you'll see people wanting to carry. Uh, officers maybe even wanting to use this on duty. And so it should be a reliable, effective tool. Uh, the price tag being basically a thousand or almost a thousand dollars less than the very apparent competitor they're going after here uh, is going to be very compelling, I think, for a lot of people. The good news is word on the street and word from people that I trust uh, is that in, in recent years, it seems that Springfield has made some improvements in terms of their, their quality and quality control. Uh, so that's always good to see. And they've always generally done pretty well with their 1911s that they're also well known for. Uh, I think that there was a time that there, there's certain eras of, of Springfield Armory 1911s 
that people kind of want because they're known for better quality at certain times. But in recent years, it seems like they've been doing pretty good in that regard. And, and uh, you know, hopefully this is not too much out of their wheelhouse as they've been building 1911s forever. Uh, a double stack 1911 should be, uh, should be doable. I would think. Sure. Sure. So pretty, uh, pretty cool looking gun. I think the price tag is very compelling and I'll be honest, I kind of, I kind of want to get my hands on one of these. So I've been thinking about wanting to get my hands on a staccato too, <laughs> <laughs> but a thousand dollars less. This is, this is, it's very compelling to me. <laughs> Next up, we have a new release. This just came out in the last 24 or 48 hours. Smith & Wesson announcing a MMP M2.0 metal series pistol. So they've been known for their MMP pistols for a number of years. Of course, they, they came out with the original MMP 9s and, and 40s and 45s. Uh, gosh, decade decade plus ago. Um and then, of course, came out the M2.0, the second generation of those, which had, has had some, some pretty good improvements. Uh, and now we are adding a metal frame option to the M&P pistols from Smith and Wesson. Smith and Wesson. These, uh, I, I, frankly, they look really cool. Uh, they kind of come in a uh, gray color scheme of some kind. Uh, the frame itself is made from aluminum. So these are going to be a little, a little bit heavier than the polymer version of these pistols, uh, which has its pluses and minuses. Pluses, it's probably going to be a little bit softer shooting, uh, a little bit less recoil on the gun. Uh, there's, But obviously downside is some people might not like that extra weight in terms of carrying the gun. Uh, I mentioned carrying a full-size 320, and I carry a basically a 320x5 on a regular basis, which is a 40-plus ounce gun. <laughs> the new Metal Series M&P pistols are coming in, it says, at 30 ounces. So uh, that's, a, that's a whole 10 to 12 ounces less than uh, the gun I carry a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I wouldn't sweat at that at all. Uh, really good-looking gun. Uh, people seem to be you know wanting to move towards metal frames or metal grip modules. I mean, yes, yeah, six hour came out with the, uh, AXG series in the P three twenties, uh, what a year or two ago. Uh, you've got Walter that, you know, came out with several years ago now with the metal frame, uh, series as well of the, of their, uh, uh PPQ pistols, uh, and the Q five and Q four, uh, pistols. Uh, I guess it's say steel frame, right? They call those the, the SF series. Uh, so those are actually steel frame, whereas these new Smith and Wesson and six hour ones are aluminum. Uh, I should say I'm not, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, I did kind of I was like, oh wow, look at this, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. But it, as soon as I saw it, it, made sense because they just came out that uh, little subcompact or micro compact, uh, 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 you know, mini micro 1911 style pistol. Was it the C CSX or mm -hmm. yeah? Yep. Uh, that's got a aluminum frame on it. And so clearly they have tooled up to be able to produce such things. And this probably was the next natural evolution in their minds. What do you think of this? Uh, this was sort of like, you know, we, we, we've, so we've gone full circle, Matthew, in the last several decades from metal frame guns to Palmer became the way, <laughs> the truth and the, the, the way we do it. Right. And now we're swinging back towards metal frames, apparently. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's with anything, right? Like it, you stick around long enough and the old becomes 
something new. Um, and, and, and if I'm a marketer, right, like I'm, I'm saying people like the, the 2.0 and, um, but they don't like a polymer gun. So how can we get them to get, get the 2.0? How can we sell them a 2.0? Well, let's make it in a, you know, a, a metal frame gun. And there you go. You know, you just widen the, the, the pool for everybody. So, um, yeah. I think it's, it's probably smart. I think, you know, there's some probably performance things that some people might find. Um, but you know, we're living in a, in a time where like concealed carry guns or guns for concealed carry, you have wide range of like so many different options and yeah. it, it's, it's pretty good. Pretty cool. Yeah. So everybody's really trying to find ways to differentiate themselves. A couple of final details on this metal series from Smith and Wesson. Uh, this uh, MSRP price is at eight ninety nine. That's not terrible. Uh, and certainly, I've seen some of the competing metal frame products that are a bit more than that, uh, including the the one from Walter. Uh, also, optic ready. And, you know, it seems, again, now almost everything, almost everything now comes optics ready from all the major manufacturers, of course, uh, yeah. which uh, I think is is the way to go on that. So uh, there's almost no downside to that. They have to do a little extra cut in the slide and maybe they have to provide a little optic cover plate, you know, in the models they sell without an optic, but almost no downside to offering optics ready in this day and age. So yeah. I think that was a good choice. Yep. All right, so uh, we still have a bunch of uh, stories to cover, plus some gear reviews. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to so, make it. Yeah, we better move right along. All right. I, I like talking about gun stuff, though. You know, I'm a gun guy. I like guns. I like I like trinkets. I like tools. I like all that stuff. So, uh, And I, th- I think it's fun to see some new stuff come out. It's been kind of quiet as of late. First up. Tell me your thought, your take on this. Uh, New York Post reporting, Matthew, Florida County school deputies will carry large rifles on campus after the Uvalde shooting. And so uh, as I read it, and this is Brevard County uh, Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Ivy, Wayne Ivy. I've heard you know some pretty uh, good things about him as far as he's very pro Second Amendment uh, from some folks that know uh, that live down in that area. But uh, it's, as I read this, it sounds like what they're talking about is officers basically wearing tactical vests and actually carrying rifles or carbines openly on school grounds uh, in mm-hmm. an effort to protect students. Uh, it's get, it's raising some eyebrow, eyebrows from some folks. Uh, what's your take? Yeah. So here, here I, I think that naturally um, this is something that is not natural, right? So it is going to raise eyebrows. I think anytime, you know, you have, um, police officers and, and with, with, with long guns and tactical, um, vests in, at a school, it's not something we want to see, right? Whether now, now we don't want to see that after the case when they're, you know, all, we all see the active shooter happens at a school and what, what's the first thing like your brain, the image your brain goes to is the overhead view of, you know, officers leading a bunch of kids running out of the, out of the building. And so you're either going to see arm te- arm, you know, uh, officers with long arms at, at school after the fact or before the case, you know, before it happens. And 
you know, this is this is one one sheriff uh, in a, in a county who says this is what we're going to do. Um, I don't I don't have a problem with it. I I personally like if my uh, you know we homeschool our my, you know our daughter, but if she went to a school here um, and, and they did that, and I'd have a conversation and tell her, hey, this this is this is why the police officers are there and to protect you and no different, and it's not you know you don't have to be scared of them and it doesn't mean that you know you have to live in fear or anything, but they're there to protect you, and I think that's we can say all we want, you know, well, we shouldn't have to do this and we should, you know, but, um, I don't, you know, nobody box at, at seeing armed people at, you know, armed with long guns at, at an airport or, you know, um, a- anywhere else. So I, well, I think I should say they don't now. And I think part of the reason why is because that's become more normalized. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, here here's I I was reading one comment uh, from from here, and uh, it, the sheriff the sheriff was addressing kind of this this question, and it said, uh, um, you know, would the presence of long guns in schools be questioned? You know, uh, and and somebody asked the sheriff, uh, you know, um, w- will kids feel like they're inside of inside an Israeli airport? And so the, the sheriff said his response was simple. He said, when's the last time you heard about somebody shooting up an Israeli airport? You haven't. And the reason is, is that they're better prepared. And, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't follow, you know, Israeli crime statistics or anything. Um, but I, I, I personally, I can I can only speak for myself. Um, I would feel more comfortable having armed uh, uh, armed resource officer there, whether they have a long gun or not, um, then, you know, just saying, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to stop the bad guy with, you know, with hugs and, and, and kisses. And uh, yeah. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, I look at it from, uh, again, the, the normalization aspect and we could debate the law enforcement versus uh you know citizens carrying guns because uh, i think there is a debate there to be had and that's actually the one piece about this that is a bit frustrating to me is it's like well you know since uvalde especially there's been quite a bit more talk on both sides of the gun issue about well, we, we should have arguably less so on the on the anti-gun side because they just want to you know more gun control but i have you know i've heard i've seen the argument made uh, in a bipartisan fashion that like, Hey, we, we can and should have, or should at least consider having more school resource officers, more police presence on school campuses uh, because that would, you know, Hey, then we can combat that violence uh, hopefully more effectively, effectively more quickly. But what frustrates me is the conversation that isn't had about trusting the people we trust the most already, which is the st- the teachers, mm-hmm. right, uh, to to be a part of that solution, right? And I know, and we got some other stories here. We're going to kind of have, I think we're going to, you know, lump a lot of this together because it's all kind of part of the same discussion to some extent. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we, we, people will say, look, not, you know, so many teachers, whatever percent teachers don't, like I think one of the articles we've got coming up, I, I'll, we'll requote it here in a minute. So certain percent of teachers don't want, you know, necessarily to have to carry a gun to school kind of thing. And I'm like, look, I'm not asking that 60% or whatever it is, or maybe 70% of teachers to carry a gun. I'm not asking those ones to, 
Okay, and some will argue, you know, it shouldn't be their job, or teachers shouldn't be expected to be, you know, the the, the heroes, the rescuers, or whatever it is. And it's like, well, the, the sad truth and reality is, is we we have already seen numerous examples, uh, both successful and also un, unsuccessful. Parktown comes to my, or uh, not Park, Parkland, uh, not Parkland. Sorry, I was thinking of. Uh, I was mixing things in my brain. Um, in uh, New Jersey, the elementary school shooting, like ten years ago, almost now. Drawing uh, Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook. Thank you. That was in New Jersey, right? Or Connecticut? Connecticut. Some. Anyway, sorry, the brain is kind of mushed all of a sudden. But anyway, Sandy Hook, right? Uh, I think it was one of the teachers or principal or school administrator, or whatever. Like, actually, you know pleaded with the shooter in that case uh and it was unsuccessful right so like they took a they made a brave courageous choice to to try to intervene other successful instance instances well i guess even parkland i guess also had a, a teacher that 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 was shot that was trying to uh uh you know take action right we've got successful instances of, of teachers that have rushed after the shooter that have confronted them that have tried to talk them down and have succeeded in doing so right and so it goes both ways. And the point is, is that there's teachers already out there that are already, whether they're wired biologically, uh, psychologically, whatever, or they, they just have the right makeup that, that they are already willing to step up and to try to protect and defend their school and their students, right? Like Those are the teachers, I think, like the, the ones that want to. Mm-hmm. Right, and maybe not even all those teachers that I'm referring to right now would necessarily want to carry a gun, but I promise you, there are teachers that want to have that option, right? And and the the, the truth is, is we're lucky if we can have one full time SRO dedicated to a school, and most schools don't have full time SRO dedicated to schools. Mm-hmm. Most are shared. Some don't have one at all. And so, what's better, one if that dedicated SRO to a school or like maybe your school has a, you know, a hundred faculty and four or five of them are willing to carry a gun yeah, and want to do so and want that option. Well, that's four or five people, not just one like that. It's all about having more options on the playing field. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's the conversation that isn't really being had. I mean, it's being had by some folks in some groups and again some of the stories we have uh also in our outline today uh are covering this as well yeah i i think that that's what you're saying is is true and and that's why i kind of said this is this is one county in in florida and i think every sheriff of or if it's a municipality that that police chief has to look at the schools that they're, they're responsible for and say what's the best strategy for us do we have the resources to put an officer a decent officer, right? Not one that's, you know, a year from retirement and we're just trying to find a place for him and we stick him at a school. But can we appropriately staff a school with officers that are, that are trained and that are willing and able to do the job? If not, maybe we look to, um, you know, asking for they, you know, we have there's citizen patrols, there's citizen, you know, we have crime watch where, uh, you know, citizens uh, go and get training from the police. I mean, 
So I think the problem is, is people are throwing one solution for everything and saying, oh, well, that's not going to work. You know, yeah, one solution isn't going to work because America is so diverse and and everything's, you know, different. So I just think um, we have to be able to be flexible and adapt to the environment. And and that requires law enforcement in that area to, to be proactive in analyzing and doing a threat assessment of their schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, you know, talking about this normalization concept, uh, I was thinking about how in my own family's world, uh, my, all my kids know I carry a gun on a daily basis and it is such a normal part of their life and a, a normal part of my life that, it, it, it's it's just normal, right? It, it it doesn't. It's not on their minds all the time. Uh, they're not even thinking about that all the time. Like it comes up, we have conversations, we have discussions, we we talk about guns and gun safety. Of course, I educate my kids in that regard. Uh, but the act of me carrying a gun is is normal in our household, uh, including within the household. I mean, I get up in the morning, I get dressed, the gun goes on me. When I go to bed, the, come, the gun comes off of me. There's few exceptions where I'm walking around without a gun. It just that's just become my lifestyle, and it's become their lifestyle. And they know they're protected. They know that I'll defend them. I think that's reassuring to them. Uh, the younger ones tend to make more, more of the comments like, "Yeah, and Daddy, if the bad guy comes, you you'll you'll stop them," you know, kind of thing, or you shoot them, you know. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Like if the bad guy comes, that if and they're not really they're not saying that with a worried tone of voice they're saying that as an acknowledgement that dad will protect me i am safe here right and we've we live in a society now that has become soft softer than it was in previous generations where guns and shooting and hunting was a more common part of everyday americans lives and so now all of a sudden you talk about well, we're going to have armed security or armed guards or armed cops wandering the school, maybe even with rifles. And whoa, you know, um, it, but perhaps more of that should be. I mean, I know we don't want to necessarily have to f- feel like we're in this militaristic society, but guns are just a tool. Like uh, as uh, Common Clay on YouTube here, you know, has commented a minute ago, carrying a gun is another form or tool for protection, just like first aid. And it can be normal and accepted and okay and more supported. Yeah. Anyway. Agree, man. Uh, so some of the other stories we got here. So why don't we go through these kind of rapid fire? Because again, some, some related things, but why don't you kind of you feel free to jump in here and mention some, maybe some of the high points or, or maybe some of the different perspectives or whatever it is that some of these other things are, are talking about. So for instance, we got an article from bearingarms.com, Colorado teachers arming up to protect students. Uh, you put this in the outline. So, so tell us about that real quick uh, in the context of what we've already been discussing. Yeah, this, sorry, that, that article just closed on me. I'm trying to reopen it. Uh, well, while you're getting that back open, most of this is uh, quoting an interview that Cam Edwards uh, from Bearing Arms did with uh, Laura Carno, uh, who is still a virtual friend. I haven't met her, I don't think, 
Maybe I did meet her one time in person. She she lives in Colorado. I live in Colorado. I follow her and see her stuff, and she does good work with an organization known as Faster. Uh, and they do a lot of great training that's teacher focused, administrator. You know, it's it's for teachers and administrators of schools. Uh, so it's a pretty intensive, multi day training program that teachers and and school staff can go through. Uh, according to the article here, 37 of the state's 178 school districts already have armed school staff. And by that, I don't think they, I think that's saying school staff and not just SROs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are likely other districts that have had, that have had staff undergo training outside of the instruction offered by Faster Colorado. Uh, and Carno says that others, more than a dozen other districts have reached out to her since Uvalde. Because again, I mean, we're looking at Uvalde, we're seeing the failures, we're wondering, you know, what else and what more can we do to protect our children? Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your input on this? Yeah, I, I put this in there, In this kind of ties into the next story talking about like how many states actually offer, I think, I think offer training for, um, uh, to, to arm or a path to arm, uh, teachers who want to be armed. I think the issue is, is that people don't really realize they hear, they, they know that there's a, there's gun-free zones around schools, right? School gun-free zones and stuff, but many States do offer programs for, for teachers that, that want to step up and be, uh, be a difference maker in, in, in a, in a tragedy like that. Right. And, and, and to try to limit the, the amount of damage a shooter can do. Um, and you know, in this article, uh, on bearing arms about Colorado, it was, uh, they interviewed and, and we're speaking to a, sp- a specific teacher and just basically along the lines that we've been talking about, like many teachers want to be armed. They carry guns while they're not teaching. And so, they're they've already trained they've already taken that responsibility that step of responsibility to say like okay i'm going to learn how to use the gun i'm going to be legal with it i'm going to understand use of force and all this stuff and and then they get to the to the gate of the school there's there's not a program for them to be able to carry and now they're disarmed and you know it's not about well i don't get paid enough to to protect your kids it's dude, I want to protect myself and your kids. Like I do this on a normal daily basis. And so this is, this is something that I want to do. And in the, in the article, it says um, that they've been, they've been swamped with requests from school districts to learn more about this faster program um, and and how they can be a part of it. And I just think that unfortunately, like we said, it's not, we've, we've kind of gone away or we kind of shifted to firearms are always used bad for bad things. And people with firearms are typically, you know, just waiting to use it to, to shoot someone. And, and so just the idea of having armed law enforcement officers or teachers is, is like, Oh, wait, we got to take a step back. But that's just not, that's not reality. That's, that's not the reality that, that uh, most I mean, obviously I'm preaching to the choir here, but most people that are armed and carry a firearm for self-defense never shoot it in in self-defense. They never, they never point it at people. They don't threaten people. They're not, they're law abiding citizens, you know? So it's just, I think the perception needs to change. And, you know, I think that's why we, we do 
like this so often. And, and that's why this is so important that I know we rehash a lot of this stuff um, legally and through defensive gun uses and stuff. And you guys are probably like, yeah, we've heard this, this has been going on and not, but we, we, we want to put this, you know, information out there in content. So maybe this is the first time somebody tunes in and, and they're like, Oh, I, I didn't realize that. I thought, you know, teachers all over didn't want to be armed. And, and, and so that's kind of, you know, why we do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, uh, good stuff there. And by the way, folks, of course, you can always check the show notes of each episode of the podcast, and especially when these when we do these episodes where we covering where we're covering news stories, uh, we always try to make sure the links for those are included in the show notes. And certainly, you'll see the links of today's episode in this episode's show notes. And if you don't know where to find the show notes in your podcast. Uh, uh, player application or whatever on your on your phone or computer or whatnot. You can always go to our website concealedcarry.com, uh, 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 check our articles there and filter by podcast as the uh, topic, if you will, and see all of our podcast episodes and find the episode there and you'll see the all the show notes and the links and everything right there. All right, so next up, I'm covering now jumping over to this story matthew it's actually uh an article written by uh oh wait i got out of got out of order here sorry hang on uh so talking actually real quick about this story from the carolina journal so again a related subject uh madison county north carolina sheriff buddy harwood has announced that six schools in the county will have a locked up semi-automatic rifle along with ammunition of course, you would expect to, I would think, and equipment to break <laughs> through a barricaded door. And this is getting, you know, again, from certain people or, or, or groups, some pushback, you know, oh, we're going to have a semi-automatic rifle, which really means probably an AR-15, uh, you know, safe, locked up in the school. And there was a quote here, you know, from the sheriff. He said, uh, I hate that we've come to a place in our nation where I've got to put a safe in our schools and lock that safe up for my deputies to be able to acquire an AR-15. Uh, yeah, well, um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I don't know why that's, I mean, yeah, I hate it too. I mean, cause we hate, we all hate the fact that these kinds of violent acts occur and have occurred. Uh, none, none of us wish for that to be the case, but we know we live in a world where there's always been bad people, you know, that, that do terrible things, uh, and that, <laughs> We have to be able to defend ourselves. That's 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 all there's to it. Uh, this is certainly less extreme than the uh, example from Florida. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you know, down there they're they're talking about you know actually walking around with the gun with the with the AR. Uh, this is you know put a safe. You know, it could be actually in a pretty obscure, uh, non-public location, uh, and locked up and and you know totally secure as far as that that gun's concerned so uh should really shouldn't be that big of a deal uh and it certainly gives another tool that can be used that that is i mean i'd much rather fight with a rifle than with my sidearm right you know if i'm going up against somebody that's armed well regardless of what they're armed with right Mm -hmm. because that rifle is going to be a little bit easier more effective to use with a greater range i mean some of these shots i mean you think about it you, I mean, if you've ever seen some of the schools my kids have, have attended and you've got hallways that could be dang near a hundred years, hundred yards long in some cases, you know, sure. long, long, long shots that, 
I'd, I'd rather make with a rifle than with a pistol if I had that that option. So uh, I think this is great, and uh, it shouldn't be controversial at all, and they should get it done. Uh, speaking of my friend Laura Carno, she's quoted in this article as well, saying mm-hmm. they are their own first responders. Rural school districts are the early adopters because they are often 30 minutes or more from law enforcement. And again, talking just about different options, training, and so on about, you know, that, that we can implement to help support our schools in their security and in their safety. Uh, and that's so true. I mean, those that are actually on those school grounds are the first responders. The, the actual LEOs that show up responding to a call, they're really the second responders. And that's true of so many cases. That's true of concealed carriers that get involved in incidents and have to defend themselves. You are your own first responder. You should always have that attitude. You should always be asking the questions. What do I need to do to be my own first responder? Should I require it? Right. I'm going to move right along here, Matthew. Uh, now getting to this realclearinvestigations.com article. This is actually a republished article, I believe, from uh, John Lott. Uh, and uh, he's talking about how the FBI undercounts armed citizen responders to mass killers and how the media plays along with that. Uh, and I've got a related article that we've appended to this, which is actually a reminder that, hey, we did this uh, big it's actually been, wow, four years ago this uh, September uh, where we published the article, Armed Citizens Are Successful 94% of the Time at Active Shooter Events. Uh, I thought that'd be this would be a good relevant place to uh, remind folks of that article and of that data, which probably ought to, or at least certainly could be updated. But that's part of what we're talking about here is how the FBI data, and we recognized that four years ago when we did our big study, uh, it undercounts a lot of these incidents. So uh, tell us, uh, you know, you, there's, you can go into the weeds on this stuff for sure, but tell us about this John Law article. Yeah, like you said, there, there, there's a lot of data in, the, in this article. And just overview is what he's talking about is the FBI. We kind of take the FBI data and, and, and we almost, uh, you know, unquestioningly just say, okay, well, they must know what they're talking about, right? Well, we know just from that, that, uh, study that we did that they undercount, they don't count everything. This goes into the actual, the way that they do it. They basically farm it out to, uh, to a college, uh, group and, 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 and they get the, the data back and, and they're looking at, um, they, they analyze their definition of, uh, an active shooter. Um, and then they take the, st- the stories, they compile them and, what what John Lott found was not only did they undercount um, the incidents, but they didn't even count the when, when they're looking at a statistic and saying, well, a certain number of, you know, incidents, uh, active shooters are stopped by uh, armed citizens. You've heard this said a lot that, oh, it never happens that, you know, what happened with, uh, with, uh, Eli, you know, that never Eli happens. Dickens, yeah. Eli Dickens, right. It never happens. And so they'll, they'll pull this out and the FBI, you know, statistics, they'll quote, and it sounds really, you know, official, like only 4.4% of active shooter incidents were thwarted by armed citizens. Um, and so we just nod our head and say, oh, okay, they must be right. Well, not only are they undercounting the number of incidents, but they've taken situations where a citizen has, you know, a, a, a active shooter starts shooting people, uh, armed citizen engages, 
or uh, stops them, but doesn't kill them and they take off, right? The shooter takes off and is later apprehended by police. You would assume, and, and nobody else is killed at that active killing site, right? It, you would think that that would be something that they would say, yes, that's a that's a case that will put a check mark for, you know, an, uh, a citizen intervened and and stopped an active shooter. Nope that 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 goes to will will you know law enforcement stop that? Well, n- not really. And so actually, when you look at all this all the numbers, it's actually fourteen point six percent of active shooter incidents were thwarted by armed citizens. And and that's frankly pretty high. I mean, I, I, I don't say, I don't want to mean like high, sure. I don't believe it, but I, I think that that's, that's pretty good considering, um, you know, the, that not everybody, uh, you're not always going to have somebody who's, who's armed on scene of an active shooter. Number two, most of these happen in gun-free zones. So people that would be armed aren't armed, Right, because they're following the law. And, and number three, even if somebody is armed there, they may not be able to engage the shooter because of distance or or whatever circumstance. Right, so mm-hmm. that's actually pretty high. And and this article goes even deeper in talking about, um, you know, the that there is just a, a media narrative that continues to to say that. The armed, the, you know, the armed good guy stopping the bad guy with the gun is a total hoax, and 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 it's constantly repeated. They go to these these data points that are wrong, and they know that they're not. Even the FBI will come out, you know, in a, in a minor footnote and be like, "Well, we're, we're these aren't you know exhaustive numbers that you know." And so, but they're they're citing them as as authoritative, and then, um, and you know, law enforcement doesn't even want you know people to be armed, and it's just it's not true. It's it, in every in every sense, it's it's actually the opposite. And so, you know, this thread that this kind of been going on for the last half an hour that we've been ranting is just that there is a narrative that has shown good guys with guns um, are actually unnecessary and they're actually probably more dangerous. So, really, we just don't want to have anybody with guns in, in, except the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's and the police. Okay, but this is why I chose to reshare our study from four years ago, which, by the way, at that time, what we did is we took the FBI data, we took John Lott's uh, organization's data, we, we put that all together, and we tried to draw our own conclusions from that as well. And in fact, quoting from our write-up, uh, you know, Jacob did uh, the final publication of this uh, four years ago. And it says here that now, while John Lott's team did talk about the overall success rate of armed citizens, which you just quoted, requoted Matthew saying it was uh, 14, you know, the corrected uh, number is 14.6% of the time armed citizens are successful. But again, quoting from our article four years ago, while they talked about that success rate of armed citizens against active shooter incidents in the U.S., they failed to consider the most important variable we feel, which was opportunities presented to an armed citizen where they might have made a, dis- a difference. Now, the challenge here is there's obviously some assumptions made because we don't know with certainty all the different, you know, there may have been other incidents where armed citizens may have been present and we don't know of those. But our big takeaway from the study four years ago was that when there is an armed citizen present that we know about, statistically speaking, 
they are successful 94% of the time in successfully stopping active shooters. And that we feel is a much better representation of what the, what the reality is. If you can have armed citizens or anybody that's armed, you know, a good guy with a gun. I know it's, it's, it's the, you know, cliche statement now, you know, it takes to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And it's been, you know, overused and, and uh, anyway, but, but that's when we have an armed citizen present at an active killing. Okay. 94% success rate. As I think that was out of 33 incidents that we you know knew of at the time in 2018. That's pretty dang significant, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and to my knowledge, there hasn't been in an active killer situation a good guy with a gun that's ever wounded or killed an innocent in that. And so, like, there's good questions uh, Mark is uh, raising on uh, 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 on the uh, Facebook comments here, you know, while we're doing this live. And, you know, talk about liability and NDs and, and you know, innocence that might be struck from, you know, whether, I think this was addressing the whole arming staff and teachers and things in schools and whatnot. Certainly important stuff we need to consider, right? You know, that certainly could happen. Liability is a thing. Insurance is a thing and so on and so forth. Those are, those are important for sure. Uh, and those are all actual risks. However, the reality is out of known active killing events, where armed citizens have been the difference maker, I am not aware of a recorded incident where a good, you know, a good another good guy got hurt um, by, you know, I'm talking armed citizen using deadly force. Now we are aware of the incident in Colorado was that last year, last June, where the good guy was shot by police that was responding, and even that is a very, very, very rare event, and we've broken that one down. But anyway, I wanted to highlight that and remind folks of our article, uh, Armed Citizens Are Successful 94% of the Time at Active Shooter Events from, from four years ago. And I've been, it's been on my mind lately, actually, about trying to go back and, and refresh that and update the data, although that'd be another... We've had people ask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd, that'd be times. another, you know, big, big project. And we've got lots of big projects <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> so... Anyway, good stuff, my man. Uh, a couple more things I want to highlight. Uh, gun control groups pressure credit card companies again to circumvent Constitution. Matthew, you wrote this up on concealedcarry.com. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to, I'm going to, just because of time, I'm going to yeah, run through yeah. this. Yep. Basically, what we have are some gun control groups, Guns Down America and Giffords Group, putting pressure on credit card companies to. <laughs> to basically profile against what would be in most cases lawfully, you know, purchasing individuals uh, using their credit cards. So, and and the idea here, and this is a, that you have a little, you know, embedded uh, uh, screenshot, if you will, from Twitter, from Giffords showing how in in shooters in at least five mass shootings have stockpiled guns and ammo using credit cards and killed 145 people. And some of the numbers have been quoted is that in 2012, the Aurora theater shooting uh, suspect, uh, or I just, you know, convicted now, obviously, but um, he charged $9,000 on credit cards to purchase his guns, ammo, and body armor in just two months. In 2016, the shooter in Orlando, Florida, 
Uh, the nightclub charged $26,000 on credit cards to purchase guns and ammo in just 12 days. In 2017, the shooter who killed 60 people in Las Vegas charged $94,000 on credit cards to purchase guns and ammo over a period of 12 months. Now, I know those those things sound ridiculous. And somebody, you know, and the average person goes like, oh, this sounds insane. So we got to do something about it. And so the pressure is being put on credit card companies to do something about it. Because, you know, we might actually throw some shootings or something. Uh, number one, I think that is a far-fetched plan. And number two, I mean, there's going to be legitimate people that are prof- profiled against and are restricted from making purchases that they lawfully may do so um, because you know things are going to get flagged. Mm-hmm. You just yeah. know, you, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, and, and they're not even asking like, hey, don't let them use it. They're saying, if you see, we want to categorize any purchases at gun shops as a separate category, not sporting goods, but a separate category. And if you see a a certain number of a a certain dollar amount or a certain number of charges, it's not just like, don't allow them to buy it. It's you need to notify law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And so this triggers something. And now we've already like, you know, got people warmed up to, to red flag laws. You know, we've been working on that. And, and so now what's the next logical step? Well, yeah, red flag laws. Yeah. We we're okay with that now. And, and now if we see people making certain charges, we'll let law enforcement know, well, they'll push back, but eventually you keep trying and people will be like, I think that's reasonable. And all of a sudden now you got people on watch lists and who's that, that was my like, I, I don't even understand how this works. So I make a couple, you know, six ammo purchases in, you know, uh, uh, two weeks. And all of a sudden, like the FBI stops me in a hot stop on the street. Like, what are you doing? Stockpiling ammunition. It's like, dude, I'm going to a class. Like, <laughs> all right, teach classes, you know, like what? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it certainly could uh, flag certain individuals that, again, make purchases for completely legitimate reasons because to the average person and certainly the anti-gun grabber uh, folks, uh, even just, you know, buying a case of ammo, a thousand rounds would sound insane to them, but the without understanding the, con- the, the the context that you could go through a thousand rounds in a weekend, two day class and mm-hmm. many uh, of your higher round count classes. I have certainly done. In fact, I went through a class a couple of years ago. I went through, uh, I guess it was in three days, but it's still a weekend class. I went through almost 1,800 rounds. Had to buy, you know, and take two cases of ammo. <laughs> an arsenal. That's what the, you always hear. I know. The police found an arsenal. They had six guns and 2,000, you know, rounds of ammunition, an arsenal. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, we, we see some some very, you know, major problems with uh, such thinking and, uh I don't. I don't know what we can do about this, but uh, certainly we have anti-gun organizations pushing for this. So on the flip side of that, we should have organizations that are pushing back and and you know being on the side of credit card companies is saying, look, like you don't want to be in the middle of this. Uh, like let, let's allow Americans to be Americans. You know, um, yeah. So this this would be. This, I mean, I've certainly made purchases that would possibly run the risk of being flagged so um and those are very reasonable purchases you know based on the, the particular needs i had at the time uh, all right uh paul Moretti ordered to pay millions to D- the district of columbia uh, so another article here from bearingarms.com uh not going to spend a ton of time on this but you guys should know okay so a lawsuit 
from filed by DC Attorney General Carl Racine against Palmer 80 in June 2020 has been re- they've reached uh, a legal settlement in that case. Uh, and so the settlement is is Palmer 80 is going to pay the District of Columbia four million dollars for apparently 19 gun kits that were sold to DC residents in violation of city law. Uh, I would say, actually, I mean, like, number one, that's ridiculous. You know, $4 million for 19 kits, you know. I don't, I'd be curious how they came up with, you know, such a, a number, such a settlement. Obviously, a settlement, so I guess I assume that was agreed to by both sides, you know, some kind of uh, mutual agreement. All right, let's, you know, instead of pushing this issue and spending more money with, you know, giving to our legal teams, let's uh, let's just let's just settle, right? Um, but... Man, that's a that's a big number for nineteen guns, uh, and certainly, I mean, we don't know that every one of those were used in some kind of illicit operation of any kind, uh, but it was apparently in violation of city law. Uh, I don't know what Palmer Eighties due diligence was on 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 selling those kits, um, but uh, probably the bigger thing I see here, Matthew, is this almost like precedent, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, of well, like, how, where, what else could this sort of thing be applied to? You know, to what could this kind of thinking extend to? Now, we know that the anti-gunners want us, you know, I, I say us as a country, to hold gun manufacturers liable for acts of violence committed using their guns. Uh, we've talked about the problems with that. And that and that's kind of, this. this is... Uh, you know, this is kind of getting into that realm a little bit where we're holding Palmer 80. Yeah, okay. I understand like they're selling kits apparently to a jurisdiction that they probably shouldn't have sold them to. I don't know. I don't know what they knew at the time. I don't know, again, about anything to do with their compliance uh, as a company with respect to that. But uh, I don't know. I just was like, wow, $4 million for, for this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it You opened the open the can, but I, I'm not going to go deep there. You know, I just think an, any of these, these uh, legal decisions have the potential to be used as precedent in something else. And um, it, you know, who knows who they're, if you can't go after the gun manufacturer, maybe you go after the, the one who sold them the gun. Right. Or in, uh, and, and I just, you know, then you, you sell, you know, who sold them the ammunition and, and people are start bankrupting businesses and people can't get licenses. And I just, um, you know, that's my fear. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Now, you know, Uh, Palmer 80 coming under fire. Of course, we're seeing legislation on a federal level that, uh, or at least I should say rulemaking from the ATF that uh, will be impacting uh, your ability as law-abiding Americans to manufacture your own firearms, which we've been able to do since the dawn of time. Uh, Paul Moretti just happened to be, I mean, this is a natural progression of technology and availability of, of, of such things, you know? Um, but uh, the the concept of building your own firearms should, should be a legal thing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving on, last story. And then we'll get into our reviews. Whole Foods CEO says Second Amendment liberties under threat from socialists. Uh, I love that, uh, just because like that, it's quite a quite a headline, uh, and, and frankly unexpected from me. Like I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. 
Whole Foods? We're talking about the Whole Foods that has a no guns in our store policy. <laughs> the CEO is apparently pro Second Amendment. And like I, I read this article like word for word. You know, sometimes I had to skim things just because of everything we go through, but I was like, whoa, whoa I got to learn more about this. And Whole Foods CEO John Mackey, who apparently is going to retire here soon uh, from his his status as CEO. And I guess, I don't know if he's like retiring, retiring in, in, in life, you know, as far as like not working anymore or just retiring as a CEO of Whole Foods. But apparently he has since about 2009 been stopped up as far as like uh, the board of directors of Whole Foods has you know, it, they made it very clear that he needed to keep his mouth shut about certain things. And he said he, he you know, he went along with it. Um, and uh, here's a quote from him. My concern is that I feel like so- socialists are taking over. They're marching through the institutions. They're taking over education. It looks like they've taken over a lot of the corporations. It looks like they've taken over the military. And it's just continuing. You know, I'm a capitalist at heart, and I believe in liberty and capitalism. Those are my twin values. And I feel like, you know, with the way freedom of speech is today, the movement on gun control, a lot of the liberties that I've taken for granted most of my life, I think, are under threat. Now, this is not meant to be you know, a debate on capitalism versus socialism versus whatever, or even the point of, of our discussion of this today. But what I appreciate is that you have the Whole Foods CEO saying that he supports the Second Amendment and that he sees threats against the Second Amendment, which definitely is the case. And the last line he said there is that a lot of the liberties that I've taken for granted most of my life, I think, are under threat. And that is true. How many of us have taken our liberties for granted? And I think we could all, I mean, if we're all being honest, there's probably whether maybe not right now, but maybe at some point or whatever it is, like, could we do more to fight for our rights, fight for the second amendment? Uh, I think we could. Right. So I, I took that as a personal like call out to me. I, I read that like, Oh man, what have I taken? for granted and what now is under threat because we've not you know stood up for our rights probably as effectively as we as we otherwise could have in recent history yeah yeah and i and you know i'm not going to say everything i I know we're short and i'm not going to go into everything i would want to say about this but i will say that he talks in this article about um basically um he says he muzzled himself he's he he personally you know restricted what he said, um, since 2009. And, um, I think that that is telling in our society, we're talking about how guns are perceived and the, and the, the, um, messaging that's going out from media, from, you know, from influencers, from, you know, everybody, celebrities, uh, sports, everything, right. Conservatives, I don't want to use the word conservatives as far as like Democrat and Republicans. I'm talking about like constitutional conservatives, ones that look at the, you know, c- certain things and say, hey, I-, I-, I do think that we have the right to do this. And, and what you're doing is inc- infringing on rights and and it's a slippery slope. Those people have been scared and self they so they muzzle themselves and um, we don't have, you know, we keep complaining, oh, we can't say this and we can't say that. And it's like, why not? 
I, I understand there's going to be repercussions, um, but why not? Like you, you, at, at a certain point, you, you either stand up and you say, I'm willing to accept some repercussions. People might blacklist me or whatever, but in the end, what's going to happen is we're all going to be blacklisted, right? Like once that those rights go away. So um, I, I'm not going to go too much deeper, but just, I think you're right. Like we do have to take that personal step, whatever it is for you, where the, the bridges you want to stand on or, you know, hills you want to stand on and fight for, um, you know, we're not talking physically fighting right? we're, we're talking about um, ideologically or whatever. Yep. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see uh, if what, if anything, John Mackey does in the future with his uh, newfound freedom. He he talks about how he, you know he, he he's got a lot more to say and uh, he plans to be more vocal in the future because uh, he'll no longer be, as he said, quote unquote, muzzled by the board um, as the CEO of Whole Foods. So I saw a comment here from somebody saying. Uh, I uh, wonder if Whole Foods is losing enough business because there's no gun policy all of a sudden. I actually no. don't think that's the case. Uh, it's actually, I, I mean, that, that policy has been in effect for quite some time. And so it's not like anything suddenly changed there, I don't think. And I don't think it really they've done. I mean, they've done pretty well as a business historically anyway. Uh, probably not necessarily even getting a lot of business and customers who happen to be pro Second Amendment. So uh but i just man it's such a i was like wow like this is fascinating you know we have a, a anti-gun so-called you know anti-gun company but it's led by a ceo that apparently is quite libertarian in his approach which i i i have to respect i have to respect so i think that's pretty interesting reviews here we are the moment you've all been waiting for and we are over time so we're going to try to wrap this up but I'm going to talk. I'll take the lead here and go ahead and fire away. I'm going to talk about the AimCam Pro 3K. So I bought a couple years ago the AimCam Pro 2i. What the AimCam product is, is a, a set of glasses that has a camera. And like what's unique about it is that certainly glasses with embedded cameras have been around for some time. Some of them place a camera kind of over on the on the side you know, of the, of the frames. Some will put it in the very center of the frames uh, uh, above the, the nose bridge. Um, but usually what we've seen from these integrated glasses cameras is that it's fixed. And, you know, and again, probably the mo more common popular one I've seen is where it's mounted in the center right between the nose or, or excuse me, between the, the eyes above the nose. And like, well, that's not, you know, too bad. It gives you a, certainly a pretty decent first-person view, uh, which works in a general sense. But when you're doing stuff like shooting, which is biased to your dominant side of your body, well, you're always looking at the gun and it's off to the side. So what AimCam did that's kind of unique is their camera is generally mounted about in the center, but it's mounted to this arm that with a, a small wrench or, or screwdriver, you can adjust so you can move the camera. You can actually position the camera location very precisely, and you can even lower it and move it over to where it's just, I mean, it's really, really, really close to your dominant eye and what your dominant eye is looking at. And so you get very nearly a true 
first person view that's relevant to the biased side of using a gun, whether you're shooting a handgun, shooting a rifle, that kind of thing. So I've used the, I got the aim cam because I wanted to get video uh, that was of that. I wanted that point of view, uh, partly to analyze what I was looking at when shooting. So the AimCam Pro 2i is a pretty good uh, camera. I've enjoyed using it. It's not the greatest image quality or video quality. Uh, it's not you know super high frame rate, that kind of thing. Well, the Pro 3K model, which came out re- you know fairly recently, and I just got my hands on a couple months ago, uh, is uh, uh, you can actually shoot uh, not oh, not quite 4K footage, but almost 4K, and that's why they call it 3K. Uh, but even with 1080p footage, you can get it at 60 frames per second, so you can get a little bit smoother video footage, and you can break things down uh, with you know smaller and smaller slices. You know, like I sometimes I sometimes review my shooting footage frame by frame because I want to analyze the precise moment. That you know, I say, I, like maybe I want to look at transitions, for instance. So you know, how quickly do my eyes leave a target that I was just shooting? Uh, do I do my eyes leave too early? Which sometimes you know that, that's a that's a thing where you're in a in, in an effort to get to your next target really quickly, your eyes leave a little bit early. Well, maybe you haven't finished your shot on the target that you were just shooting at. And you might actually miss because your eyes leave too soon, that kind of thing. So you get some timing issues in your transitions. So I'll sometimes step through that footage and watch it very in a detailed fashion. Uh, not not necessarily like I will look at every single shot like that. That'd be really tedious. But I'll look specifically at footage where I know a mistake occurred. And I want to identify exactly what that mistake was. So I've enjoyed uh, using the AimCam Pro 3K uh, recently and analyzing the footage. I've been running not the higher resolution, but uh, the 1080p at 60 frames per second, which has worked really well for me. And I've, I've also noticed comparing the, the, the footage between the Pro 2i and the 3K model uh, that the it, the overall quality just is improved. Uh, colors seem a little bit better too. Resolutions, like I know it's 1080p and 1080p, but it's just overall, it just looks like a little bit better detailed footage. I do know that the camera lens and the sensor it's used in the Pro 3K is a little bit larger, and that's going to have an effect on overall quality as well. So uh, pretty impressed with the improvements to the MCAM Pro 3K. I believe they run, I haven't priced it in a while. I forgot what it was. It's north of 250 might be about 300 bucks. It's kind of spendy, but if you want truly a first-person view of your shooting action or anything else that you do, really, it's kind of hard to beat in that regard. And I love the adaptability the, you know, of being able to actually position the camera sensor exactly where I want. That's, that's, a, that's a huge, huge thing. So check out the uh, AimCam Pro 3K. You can go to AimCam. I believe it's aimcam.com is the website. So there you go. That's my review. Cool. Really cool, man. Um, and I'm going to talk about, it's called Console Vault is the company and they make vehicle safes. Um, and I just actually had a meeting. I went out to their uh, headquarters building that's actually out here and not too far from me in Ohio. It's like 25 minutes. I, I realized that, that they were that close, but they make an awesome vehicle safe. Um, that is, it's not a universal safe that, you know, you, you, you put your gun in, you tether it to a strap underneath your, your seat, but it is made vehicle and model specific. 
Um, obviously they don't make it for every single vehicle, but most of the newer cars they're making it for. Um, and it is, they, they use a CAD system to, to design everything. So it fits perfectly. Um, it, you know, even if you have USB ports in there, um, it, it has cutouts for that and allows you to have an adapter so you can still use your USB port. Everything's, uh, it looks really slick it, it, and it bolts in using the same bolts that, th- that bolts the, um, or that secures the, uh, console, uh, in your car. And so you don't do any modifications to the car. So if you, if, if you're a, if you lease a vehicle, say, and you want to put this thing in there, um, you, you can take it out when you're done and that you, you haven't damaged anything or destroyed anything. Um, it, it's, it's really nice right now. Most of the, the locking systems, um, are pretty rudimentary as far as they're kind of like a dial. Um, if you imagine a, a, like a dial, um, uh, numeric keypad type thing, but they have a, a new one coming out soon. That's going to be a digital keypad. They're very nice. Um, and I think at least for me, and I'm glad they, they had one for my vehicle, um, by far, if I can't take the firearm with me, right. Uh, this isn't for, this isn't in lieu of like carrying the gun on you in the vehicle, right. I, st- I still don't use your car as a holster and carry the gun right. on you. But when you have to go into a non-permissive environment, um, or maybe you have, you know, your wife's got a, a, a purse or your kid's got, you know, a tablet or something, um, you can put it in there, lock it up. It, it, it you can, it, it's, I was really impressed with the, with the, with this unit. And, um, and so they're, they're like you, like yours, North of 250, like I think around 300. Um, but if you look at just buying a regular little quick access gun safe that you can tether underneath your seat, that's probably what 75, hundred bucks. Um, so you're, you're a third of the way there and you have something that's not going to be taken out of the vehicle. Um, and so I would check it out if you have a newer vehicle or, um, some of them even go back to like 2016 models, but, uh, it's console vault. Um, I, I always pronounce it like console. It's console vault. Console. Yeah. Console. C O N S O L E vault.com. Yeah. So I've been, I mean, you've been telling me about this for uh last couple of days and I know you did the, you know, tour of their facility and everything, which is really cool. And I'm actually looking at the site right now and I see they make one for my, for my pickup truck, which is cool. Uh, again, I'm with you. This is, this shouldn't necessarily be a solution for carrying a gun in your truck or leaving it in the truck, you know, on a more permanent basis, uh, a so-called truck gun, if you will. Uh, but I actually just think about the other day, Matthew, like I had to go drop off uh, a child at school uh, and I needed to accompany them to in, into the school. And it, it's always a frustration for me because, again, I'm carrying every day. So uh, what am I going to do? Like I have to disarm myself before I can walk in onto the school grounds or into the school. And I, I remember getting back into my vehicle and thinking, you know, every time I have to, admit, you know, conduct some kind of administrative handling of my firearm. Um, even if it means removing the holster off my belt from within my waistband with the gun in it and trying, you know, like doing that. Um, there's, there's still a, and it may be slight, but there's still an increased risk to me personally by having to do extra administrative handling of my firearm that I otherwise wouldn't have to do. And 
by them by the by the law stating that I can't be on school grounds with my firearm, uh, it, it increases my personal risk, but does absolutely nothing in terms of protecting anybody else, right? As a law-abiding person, like I'm not a threat to anybody. I'm not there to hurt anybody. I'm not going to break the law. If I was intent on breaking the law, I'd ignore the law in the first place. So I'd carry a gun on school grounds anyway. And because I'm, I can't because I can't be on school grounds carrying a gun as a pretty highly trained and skilled shooter. I can't be there to do anything to protect myself, my child, or other people on school grounds. And so right. the only thing the law serves to do in this in that kind of specific in, uh, example is increase my own personal risk. And then of course there's always the chance that you know, and I've got like a little vault that has to be cabled to the frame of a seat and that's not as like i love how these uh, console vault vaults are uh, like integrated into into the vehicle as part of you know the, the the console or the 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 center dash or like i was looking at my i've got a 2012 f350 and i've got the front middle seat that can fold down and they have an option for an under middle bench seat safe that's awesome yeah, and, awesome. and Ford, they actually make, like, if you order uh, a factory, mo- like, add-on through Ford, they're the ones who make that for Ford. So, they they do a lot of uh, a lot of that nice. kind of stuff. So, yeah. Super cool, man. Appreciate you bringing that to our attention and sharing your review today. Sure. So, folks, it's time to wrap it up. It's been a longer episode than we would have probably planned initially, but we had a lot of stuff. I told Matthew, don't let me talk about any one thing for too long because we have so much. You failed. You're fired. Producer <laughs> man, you're out. I'm out. I've got your replacement. Right, I got I got a stack of resumes right here. <laughs> no, anyway, all right, guys. It's been fun. I uh, hope you enjoyed this, the, the episode here today. Uh, as always, you can find us, uh, of course, at uh, concealedcarry.com. You can find podcast information at podcast.concealedcarry.com. You can contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Today's episode sponsors ccwsafe.com and theguardianconference.com. So guardianconference.com is the, the website there. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for watching, listening, doing whatever it is, wherever you are. We hope you are safe. We hope you are well. And we remind you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.